If you're in first through third grade, you can slip out to our children's church service at this time. The rest of us are turning to the book of Titus, Titus chapter 1. I'd like to invite you to come out to our evening service tonight. We've got a lot going on this evening, a prayer meeting at 5 o'clock and 100B. We've got a board meeting at 5 o'clock as well. A members meeting at 6 o'clock, and then I'll be bringing a, a message in regards to the function as we've been looking at putting the church in order function and role of deacons in the church tonight during the evening service. So I'd invite you back at six o'clock tonight for that service. Titus chapter one, our text will begin in verse 10. If you've been following along, you might think, wait a minute, you ended at verse five last week and you skipped verses six through nine. And if you think that, then you probably haven't been coming on Sunday nights, because I've been preaching through Sunday nights, verses 6 through 9. So we didn't skip anything, you can follow along. If you want to go back and catch up, I would encourage you to go on the website, we record all the sermons and post them there. Very important section um, that we went in detail regarding the, the qualifications of a pastor, of who God has called the, pa- the group of pastors to lead the church, and very important, so we spent two weeks working through that one paragraph on Sunday evenings, the last two Sunday evenings. And so we pick up in verse 10 as Paul is continuing to tell Titus on how he is to put the church in order. So let's look down at our text. We'll read verses 10 through 16 and we'll ask for God's blessing. Paul tells Titus, For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially or particularly those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. And this testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth, To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Heavenly Father, as we look into your word this morning... I pray that you would give illumination, that you would draw our minds and our hearts to truth, that we may be more aligned with your word in putting the church in order. In your name we pray, amen. When I was a child, it was common to hear a saying on the playground, perhaps I will begin it and you can finish it. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. As a child, perhaps you said this as I did, to try to convince yourself that hard and harsh words spoken by friends or enemies didn't really hurt that much. But as you grow older, you begin to realize the incredible impact and power that words possess. The pen is mightier than the sword. Scripture has a lot to say about our words, a lot to say about how we go about in our conversation with people. It tells us that 
words are a reflection of your heart. If you want to know where your heart is, if you want to know what you love, what you believe, simply examine your words. Matthew 12, 34, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It tells us that words are destructive. James chapter 3, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and is set on fire of hell. Such is the same warning that Paul gives us in our passage this morning. On the flip side, the Bible also says that words can bring healing. Proverbs 16, 24, gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Do you bring healing to others with your kind and gracious words? Your words are a reflection of your life direction. What you talk about, where, you, where your words are today is where your life will be tomorrow. We're not saying that you can set yourself based on the power of words to change your life, but simply that as a reflection of your heart, they're also setting your life direction. Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Scripture also tells us that you will give an account for every word you speak. We have a phrase in our home, we use it often as a reminder to ourselves, I've said it before, I'll say it again, where it's not, it's not grammatically correct, but that's the reason that you'll remember it, okay? Where there is much words, there is much sin. Because we will give an account for every word that we speak. You show me a person who talks a lot, I'll show you a person who sins a lot, Matthew chapter 12, verses 36 and 37. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified. By your words you'll be condemned. Friend, you'll give an account for every word you speak. Whether that be a word of righteousness and blessing, or whether that be a vain word of emptiness or unrighteousness. You need to come to understand that your words impact those around you, either for good or for evil. What you say affects other people. And that's exactly what Paul is telling Titus, that there have been some who have come in, and with their words, they have destroyed whole families. That your words have impact. Well, I don't, I don't act on sin. I just talk about sin. Well, talking about sin is sinning. And that to say it does hurt. To say a lie means you will eventually believe it in your heart because whatever you say, you will eventually believe. And so we have these false teachers that had slipped into the church at Crete and they had so been talking about this false teaching, this false doctrine, they had been talking about it so much that they had actually begun to believe it and the people in the church had actually begun to believe it because whatever you talk about, you end up believing And so we come to the understanding based on our text this morning that the church is under attack both from without and from within. And yet this attack is the battleground of sound doctrine versus false teaching. The church is under attack 
both from within the church and from outside the church. The battleground is false teaching. Therefore, we must be aware. One day, God will silence all false teachers by casting them into the lake of fire, silencing their tongues of wickedness. But until that day in the age to come, in the church age, the church has been tasked with rebuking and silencing both false teaching and false teachers. It is the church's responsibility to rebuke and silence both false teaching and false teaching. And our passage before us this morning, Titus chapter 1, verses 10 through 16, reveals to us that this is one of the foundational ways that we bring the church into order. By not putting up with false teaching, by not entertaining false teachers in our midst. That bringing the church into right order means that we must confront false teachers and false teaching. If you look down at your text, it begins with a transitional word for, because, which ties it to the passage just before that. Look at, the, look at verse 9 of chapter 1 and explaining why the pastors of the church must be qualified in this way. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. He must hold firm to Scripture so that he may be able to teach. That's the primary role of the pastors in the church, to give instruction in sound doctrine and also be able to rebuke those who contradict it. What is the role of the pastor? The primary roles of the pastors are to give themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word and so teach sound doctrine and rebuke false teachers and false doctrine. So therefore, you could say it this way. The responsibility of the church is to recognize and call out those pastors from among themselves who are teaching sound doctrine, their lives reflect sound doctrine, and they defend sound doctrine. And on the converse side, the role of the church is to cast out, to rebuke, and to silence false teachers, false teaching, and those whose lives reflect false teaching. That it is a two-edged sword. You can't have one without the other. It's two sides of the same coin. False teachers need to be silenced in two ways as the church goes on this mission led by qualified men in this endeavor as we set the church in order False teachers need to be silenced in two ways. Number one, this is my outline for the morning, I'll give it to you again. It's very simple. False teachers need to be silenced of their worthless words, their empty, vain words. And secondly, false, false teachers need to be rebuked of their wicked works, their sinful and ungodly lifestyle. Let's look at how Paul explains the false teacher's worthless words here at the beginning of our passage, beginning of verse 10. He says, For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers, verse 10, especially those in the circumcision party. They must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not 
to teach. Notice that Paul reminds Titus that false teachers are to be found anywhere and everywhere. There's no shortage of false teachers or false teaching in the world. This battle is not relegated to a certain time period, as if false teaching was conquered in the first century, or the battleground of the church in the 15 and 1600s, or the doctrinal battles that our fathers and grandfathers fought no longer exist. That this is a battle that continues as we stand for sound doctrine. There are many. The battle for sound doctrine and against false teachers is not a battle that is fought in one in just one generation. Many times it's the same heresies just reclothed and, and recouched to look and sound just a little bit different that are pulling people's hearts away from the truth. Church history has been filled with men and women who have stood for the truth to silence the false teachers of their day. And I'm thankful that there are many men and women today who are standing up for Orthodox Christian doctrine and thus holding up sound teaching that produces sound faith. What are some character traits that false teachers share that Paul draws our attention to? Well, first of all, they're insubordinate. Insubordinate. This means that they, are, they refuse to align under any sort of kind of spiritual accountability in any way. These are men and women who are on their own, refusing to align under spiritual accountability, thus showing their heart of their refusal to align under the Word of God. Going against the commands of God, not willing to have others look closely at their doctrine or examine their lives. These false teachers refuse to align under the authority of the local church. They refuse to align under the authority of a board of spiritually minded and qualified individuals. If you notice, the false teachers in our day are all about themselves. They have their names plastered all over their ministries. They have their names plastered all over the things that they're trying to sell you. They have their names on the side of their airplanes, right? That it's all about themselves. It's not about submitting to the authority that God has ordained. We have a staff evangelist here whose primary responsibility as a pastor of community is to encourage other churches and shepherd while he's here. His name is Brent Savinsky. It would be very easy for Brent to launch out on his own and to do his own thing, traveling from church to church with no accountability. But that's not who Brent is as a man of God. He submits himself to the leadership and the accountability of the membership of Community Baptist Church as a pastor on our staff in order to recognize that he's not a lone ranger. He's not on his own. He's not insubordinate to Scripture. Lone rangers in ministry should scare you to death because they don't have accountability to anybody and when someone challenges them on their belief, they just move on. They're all on their own. This pattern is passed on to those who follow these false teachers and if we're not careful, this can be, pat this can be the pattern that the church membership can follow in the midst of sin. When sin arises in the church membership, rather than doing the hard work of aligning under the spiritual authority of the pastors and the membership of the church, 
Isn't it so much easier to be insubordinate and walk away and say, you know what, I'll just go to a different church where they don't know about my sin, where they don't know about my problems. And thus this mindset has pervaded so many today. And rather than responding with confession, repentance, reconciliation, they reject all authority. Stop attending church altogether. Go to church online or my pastors, this person on TV. And friends, that is so unbiblical. Yes, we have a live stream that's available to so many who, who are not able to come and gather this because of physical ailments, because of life stage, because of travel. But it's never a replacement for the gathered church. Insubordination, a lack of accountability, a lone ranger off by themselves. What's the second characteristic? Well, they're full of empty, foolish talk. This phrase, empty talkers, literally means a bag full of wind. A wind bag. We don't use that very often today anymore. It was a pretty common term many years ago. A wind bag, just someone who is, who is talking, but they're not really saying anything. That they're just speaking, and at the end of a 30-minute speech, you go, what happened? I don't know, I feel good, but I have no idea what they just said. That it's just full of, we, in, in, in the preaching world, we call it preaching marshmallows. That there's really nothing there. There's just fluffiness coming out that you have to wade through. It's like cotton candy. You take a bite, and it's gone, right? Empty, foolish talk. Talk that's not grounded in reality. Talk that, that is all about things that in reality don't even really exist. Just windbag. Lots of talk with no truth present. It's a false teacher who stands up behind a pulpit and spouts off their own opinions. To get people riled up emotionally. I heard a, a message where for the first 20 minutes the preacher simply repeated the same phrase over and over and over and over again in different emotions. And people ran the aisle in emotion. I mean, if you're going to do that, at least let it be a Bible verse, right? <laughs> they profess to know God, but deny Him by their works. I mean, you could spend a whole hour and just say that over and over again and maybe God will, 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 will use that in people's hearts but don't just say some phrase mindless emptiness this may show itself with teaching that begins with a verse but rather than explaining a passage verse by verse and looking down at your Bibles, it's almost like, here's a verse, now fold your Bible and put it under your chair because I want to talk to you for a minute. Friends, that's not biblical preaching and biblical teaching. False teachers are consumed with their own ideas rather than what God says. If you're in a church, if you move from here, and you're looking for a good church, find a place that you're never going to find a church that you like everything, okay? We'll just get past that and set aside our expressive individualism so we can come together as the church body, okay? But find a church wherever you move to where the pastor will stand up and say, look down at the Scripture. 
Take your finger and look at verse 10. Look at verse 11. Look at verse 12. Not empty words. Insubordinate, empty, foolish talking. Thirdly, deceiving, deception. That that means the twisting and the undermining of the truth. That One of the things that makes false teachers so attractive to many is that they have just enough of the truth to draw you in as a Christian and then they take you down the wrong path. We used to hike on the Appalachian Trail uh, in high school. And on the Appalachian Trail, there, there are many trails like the Foothills Trail and, and, and other trails that would join with the Appalachian Trail. And as you're hiking on the AT, there, you know that you're going the right trail if there's a white paint mark on the tree every so often. And then when another trail comes in, there will be maybe a blue trail and a blue and a white. And then when another trail comes in, there will be a blue and a white and a yellow. But then you'll come to a junction and you'll look and there'll be a blue on this trail and a yellow on this trail and a white right down the middle. And the problem is false teachers may draw you in with a little bit of truth, but then they branch off oh so subtly. And before you know it, it's no longer Scripture. It's, it's human deception. It's human ideas. It's drawing you into falsehood. It's inserting maybe even... Per- you know, my own personal ideas or conscience issues or whatever to try to bind you into being something more or less than what Scripture requires. It's not the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. There's a, a, a trail that heads off. And that's the truth, you know, if the truth is the blue mark, maybe the trail that leads off is teal. And it's so, it looks so similar. But for those who lack discernment, it's leading to destruction. You listen to the false teachers and you hear clear overtones of truth wrapped in lies. Your best life, yes, but not now. In heaven. Amen. God wants you to be rich. That's true spiritually. But not physically. Wealth is not a sin. But friends, the blessings of God on your life are a forgiven heart and a clear conscience. Not a full bank account. A child of God versus this heresy known as the little God theology toted by some like Creflo Dollar who is a false teacher. It's a cool name, but he's a false teacher. And he stands in his pulpit and says, all things produce after their own kind And when God made Adam, what did he make? He made a human being. That's what he made. Made in his image, but not a little God. Because God is alone in his status. Friends, these are false teachers. Peddling errant theology. Insubordinate. Deceiving. Full of foolish, empty talk. Who is it specifically in the island of Crete? It was a specific group. If you look down in verse 10, you'll see that it's those of the circumcision, namely a specific group who had come in and said, yes, Jesus, salvation by grace through faith, accept his free gift of salvation on the cross. But, but that's not enough for the Christian life. You also have to align under the Mosaic law. There are all of these external Rules that you have to abide by in order to be a Christian, or maybe not for some in order to be going to heaven, but if you're actually going to be loved by God, if you're going to be a good Christian, 
You have to do all these external things that are nowhere found in the New Testament because Christ was the fulfillment of the law. The circumcision party came in. What did they look like? Here's a passage you can read Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard the Gentiles that also received the word of God. These non-Jews, they had no idea about anything having to do with the Mosaic law. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him. You ever been criticized for witnessing to somebody? Hopefully you haven't been the one criticizing circumcision party criticized him saying you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them you hung out with who you went where you talked to who oh they don't deserve salvation and even if they do get saved they're probably actually not going to become christians because of every every part of this law that we've come up with that they're going to have to align with, so why even waste your time? You don't want to hang out with unsaved people. You might get dirty, right? The beauty of Acts 11 is that Peter tells them the truth and they fall into a line with sound doctrine. It's amazing. But not all of them, because we see they were present here in Titus, which here on the island of Crete, which reminds us that false teachers are everywhere. There's nothing new under the sun. This concept of this legalistic mindset that we talked about all through the book of Galatians came out of Judaism because it gave them a little bit of a prideful edge that if I'm a Jew and Jesus is my Messiah and then all of a sudden there's this Gentile who comes in and you're trying to tell me that he can have the the same salvation that I can have, but but look at everything that I've done. Look at all the foods that I abstain from. Look at the circumcision that I have. Look at the feasts that I observe. Look at all these cultic rituals that I participate in. You're trying to tell me that this guy can have the same heaven with the same blessings and the same spirituality without all that? And so it, it was attractive It was attractive to the sinful bent of their flesh. And friends, be careful that false teaching, false teaching will, it'll look and draw you in in the specific areas in which you are susceptible. Maybe you were raised in a legalistic home and false teaching will lure you into licentiousness. And say, it doesn't matter how you live, God will forgive. Do what you want. A life of sanctification, holiness is not important. Or maybe it was the opposite. Maybe you were raised in the midst of a worldly atmosphere and you see the importance of holiness and sanctification. And so your tendency would be to also attach all of these external rules that everybody must follow. Or maybe it would be you grew up in a very poor, broken home. And you're looking for wealth and belonging. And so you're especially susceptible to the prosperity, false teaching gospel. Whatever it would be, there are false teachers who will try to lure you away, tailor-made for your lusts. Be careful. What is the result of this false teaching? Is it important that we really take this that seriously? I mean, it seems kind of harsh, doesn't it? I mean, doesn't it seem kind of... I mean, like, like, if you're a millennial or younger, you're probably going, whoa, don't be so harsh, Pastor Joe, right? We need to be tolerant, which is, which is true. We have to be careful. We don't want to add any further offense to the gospel that's offensive enough, right? 
But isn't it kind of harsh to tell people what they should believe and what they shouldn't believe? I mean, is it kind of harsh to look at somebody and say, you're wrong? Well, let's look at what happens if that doesn't happen in the church. What's the result? Verse 11, they must be silenced. It's an imperative. They have to be. This is not an option for the church. Why? Since they are upsetting whole families. They are taking families and they're turning them on their head. Destruction. Now this could be talking about physical, biological families. It could be talking about the church. I think it's talking about both. That the result of false teaching left unchecked is people's lives thrown into disarray. That the gospel brings love and unity. And where there is contention, there is pride. And so these false teachers had come in and had destroyed churches, destroyed families. The result of teaching sound doctrine is a church that is sound in the faith. The result of of teaching false doctrine and not, not rebuking and silencing false teachers is that the church is flipped upside down on its head. Families and churches are destroyed. This shows us how important it is for us to have our antennas up and to be on guard for false doctrine. If you're listening to the radio or you're watching TV or you're on YouTube or you're on social media and you hear somebody say something about Christianity and you go, huh, that doesn't sound quite right. You need to be aware now, doesn't, it may mean that it's true, and you've just never been exposed to that truth, but that should drive you to Scripture, as we'll talk about in a minute, to seek out from the pages of Scripture what you should believe. Be on guard. What is their motivation, the motivation of false teachers in verse 11? They must be silent since they're upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. Their motivation is personal gain. Their motivation is self-centeredness. We see in the New Testament this was true of false teachers in both Ephesus, Jerusalem, Crete. We could say that this is true of false teachers across the board. 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul writes to Timothy in Ephesus and says, A constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, these people imagining that godliness is a means of gain. That somehow you can turn your Christian life into shameful gain, right? And he follows, godliness with contentment is great name. We brought gain. We brought nothing into this world, and we can't take anything out. That false teachers are seeking personal gain. Second Peter chapter 2, writing to the churches in Jerusalem, in their greed, false teachers, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. You want to see something sad, you go to a third world country and you see a prosperity gospel ministry that's teaching a false gospel that if you love God, he'll give you stuff. And you see the flocks of poor and destitute flock in looking for physical wealth because that's what they've been promised by false teachers. And yet those leading the ministries are living in opulence while they're robbing the needy, and the poor. Shameful gain. Anybody who tells you to give them money so you can get something spiritually is a false teacher. 
False teachers are seeking to exploit you with false words, to manipulate you, and to use you to promote themselves. Because this teaching is false, their teaching cannot result in a life that's pleasing to God. False teaching cannot result in righteousness. You can't purify water with dirt. It results in a wicked and evil life. This is one of the main reasons why false teachers are lacking in accountability. They don't want you to look too close. They don't want to be examined. They don't want the the, the, the eyes examining them closely and looking at their lifestyle. They want to live in the shadows privately. And thus, when that privacy is exposed, you have scandal after scandal after scandal of those who claim falsely the name of Christ but are only doing it for selfish gain. We silence the words of false teachers. Secondly, we rebuke the wicked works of false teachers. They have a sinful lifestyle. Verse 12, one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. The the lifestyle on the island of Crete is worse than you could ever imagine. I mean, they were called animals. They were known for their debauchery. They were known as a seaport that had the worst of the worst. And anything that your sinful heart could desire, you could find it on the island of Crete, and you could find it in a way that was promoted. Evil beasts, liars, lazy gluttons. They actually came up with their their own idea of, of the Greek god Zeus and how he was buried there at Crete and they had their own, you know, their own religion. They had created everything for themselves. Anything that their hearts desired that they wanted that would promote themselves. That's why they were called liars because the Greeks would look at them and say, no, Zeus is at Olympia. Zeus doesn't exist, by the way. But they believed that Zeus was like on Olympia and the Cretes said, no, he's buried on our island. And they're like, you guys are liars and you're evil beasts and you're lazy gluttons. I mean, they were just terrible people. And they're being saved out of this. And God is changing their lives. And friend, if you're here and you're not a Christian and your life is a disaster, Jesus is your answer. You don't have to fix your life to come to Christ. You don't have to clean up your sin. You don't have to try to figure everything out before you can get saved. You run to the cross. And you find your sin forgiven. And the change begins. They're saying, man, these, these false teachers reflecting the sinful lifestyle in Crete. So what is the solution? Rebuke. Look at the middle of verse or the middle of verse 13. Therefore, rebuke them sharply. They must be silenced and rebuke them sharply. If you've got your, if you've got your, uh, your, your Titus journal there, you need to highlight and square those two things. This is Paul's purpose. You know, silence them and rebuke them sharply. Silence them for their, their worthless, empty, false words. And then rebuke them for their wicked, worldly, ungodly works. That, that is the church's responsibility. The solution To a licentious lifestyle is rebuke. If there is a Christian who is living in sin, the solution is rebuke. It's to look at that person and to say, you are in sin. Well, they won't like that. Of course they won't like it. They're in sin. 
What do you expect? If someone's living in open, unrepentant sin, they're not going to like the fact that you tell them that. And false teachers aren't going to like the fact that you look at them and you say, you claim to know God, you deny him by your works, you are a wolf in sheep's clothing, you're a false teacher. They're not going to be like, thank you so much. Right? This is about the responsibility of the church to rebuke sharply, to silence false teachers so that they may be sound in the faith. And if you want encouragement to see that happening, it's Acts chapter 11, where Peter rebukes the, the circumcision party that's there. And at the end, they rejoice greatly, and they say, praise the Lord that we all have the same God. There was a devotion to false mysticism and a defiled conscience that was worthless for righteousness. Listen to me carefully, friends. There No good can come out of false teaching. Sin never leads to righteousness. And so therefore, in, in this way, the circumcision, that external extra rules never lead to godliness. Colossians chapter 2, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits, spirits of the world, that's All of the rules, the elementary form. We talked about this in the book of Galatians. Why, as you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. According to human precepts and teachings. Why why are you following these human teachings if you were raised to life? Those are dead. Listen to the next phrase. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism, and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. That external rules added to the gospel as necessary for the Christian life that are not found in Scripture do not help righteousness. They may promote a self-made religion. They may even, on the surface, make people look better, but they have no bearing with godliness because false teaching can never produce righteousness sin can never produce good the summary really is given in verse 16 as their consciences are defiled by their works verse 16 is the summary of these false teachers look down with me at verse 16 though they profess to know god they deny him by their works They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. There's no way that they could help you in any way. A false teacher has nothing good for you. They are unfit for any blessing in your life. But when I listen to this person, yeah, I know that they're a false teacher, but when they say this, it makes me feel really good. Friends, that is not a positive thing in your life. A false teacher has nothing good to offer you. There are two different types of ways to spot false teachers. The first has worthless words, false doctrine, but they have a moral lifestyle. Their doctrine isn't right, but their life looks good. You listen to what they say and you go, no, it's not quite right. But you look at the way that they live and they live a very moral, legalistic lifestyle. And so those that would fall into this camp would be like Mormons 
false teachers. And yet, if you were to be around a Mormon, you would think they were very, very like-minded. In fact, in a Bible study with a couple of Mormon missionaries, when I was a kid, I was sitting at the table with my dad, and I remember the Mormon missionary looking at my dad and saying, we're actually not different. We both believe in the church. We love families. We're good moral people. And my dad looked at him and very strong, and I remember I was like, whoa, he looked at him. He said, don't you ever say that again, because we are totally opposite. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Right? We had chocolate chip cookies there, and I'm just like stuffing my face, you know. <laughs> Worthless words, but they have a moral lifestyle. Then you have those who say the right things, but they have an ungodly lifestyle. And that's the wicked works. You'd say, man, their, their lifestyle doesn't reflect the teaching that they say they're supposed to embrace. But friends, the goal would be, verse 13, Rebuke them sharply so that they may be, highlight this phrase, sound in the faith. That's the goal. What does it mean to be sound in the faith? It means that your sound doctrine and your holy lifestyle come together. That your life reflects what you believe. That you can say, here's the truth, and you know what? Let me show you that I don't have cause to bring shame on the name of Christ because what I say to be true and my life don't match up. That the goal of the church is to generate those who are sound in the faith by teaching sound doctrine and calling people to believe that sound doctrine which will result in a life that reflects sound doctrine. And so then you have sound faith. As we close, I'd like to ask two questions. Number one, how do we silence false teachers? Because that's a very important question. Are we supposed to go on the, on the corner and picket? Are we supposed to start a Facebook group called Sound Faith Unite and have pictures of all the sound, you know, sound people, false teachers over there with horns on them or something? Like, how, how are we supposed to do this? Because it's not just my responsibility. It's the church's responsibility. It's not just Pastor Ben and Pastor Sean and Pastor Brent. It's all of our responsibilities. So how are we supposed to do that? First question. Second question. How do I spot false teaching? How do I spot false teaching? So let's look at the first one. How do we silence false teachers? Number one, we silence false teachers by devoting ourselves to the teaching and obedience of the truth. We devote ourselves to the teaching and obedience of the truth. This is how Jesus combated Satan in the wilderness, isn't it? Satan would come up and he would tempt Christ and Christ would say the three beautiful words, it is written. It is written. Even when Satan twists, do you know that Satan actually used scripture against Jesus? Did you know that? You need to go back and read Matthew chapter 4. It's amazing. He uses scripture and he twists it out of context to mean what it was never meant to mean. And Jesus says, it is written. We use truth to combat false teaching. Teaching it, teaching the truth, and living by the truth. It's how Jesus dealt with the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 22. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were talking about all this stuff, specifically the Sadducees talking about the resurrection. And if, if you remember, I, I preached a passage on this. You probably don't remember my sermons. I remember them. But, but I preached a, pa- a, passage, a message on this where, where he says, you know, if, if a person's married seven times in the resurrection, if this so-called resurrection is actually going to happen, then who are they going to be married to? I mean, you say you believe in a resurrection in heaven, right? 
And if this lady gets married to this man and he dies, then she gets married to this man and he dies, and he gets married to this man and he dies. Seven times in heaven after this quote-unquote resurrection, who are they going to be married to? Sounds a lot like a lot of stupid questions people ask today that have no bearing on the Bible, but they sound like they do, right? And Jesus answers in this way. I love this. Matthew 22, verse 29. Jesus answered them, you are wrong. (laughs) I love that. You're wrong. Don't be afraid to look at somebody and say, you're wrong. We have the truth. You are wrong. Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. You're wrong because you don't know your Bible. And you have that question because you don't know your Bible. And you have that issue in your life because you don't know your Bible. You can can leverage the truth of scripture this way. For the resurrection, they're neither marry or nor given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. So for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I got an idea. Why don't you just go read your Bible? And you won't have these issues, false teachers. Hebrews chapter 4 tells us that the word of God is alive and active. It will accomplish its purpose by cutting deeply into the hearts of those who are listening. So leverage the truth. Live sound doctrine. Live right. Preach right. Teach sound doctrine. Number one, devoting ourselves to the teaching and the obedience of the truth. Number two, living holy lives that reflect our beliefs. Kind of underneath one. You call it 1A if you want. The lives of false teachers prove that they are false teachers. With an exception of a couple wackos who are running cults out there, who actually believe what they're teaching, a close inspection of the lives of false teachers reveal their false teaching. That's why they're insubordinate. As your life reflects the truth and your life reflects Scripture, so you silence those who are full of scandal, full of financial ruin, immorality, 1 Peter chapter 2, for this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. You want to silence ignorant, foolish people? Do what's right. Live for Christ. Live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover for evil, but living as servants of God. The reason why you and I must live as men and women of integrity in this life is because we prove our belief system with our life because what you, how, what you believe will affect how you live. It, it does. Whether you want it to or not, it does. If you really believe something's important, you'll do it because all of us make time for the things that we love. Some of us just love being busy, so we make time to be busy, right? But the truth is, is that you have enough time. You will do what you love So the goal is to love God so much that it chases out a love for sin. That your life would reflect what you believe. Thirdly, rebuke them and separate from them. Listen to Paul's warning that we'll get to in chapter 3. As for a person who stirs up division, Titus chapter 3 in verse 10 and 11, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. 
Rebuke them by name if necessary and get away. Turn it off. Don't listen. For those false teachers who try to penetrate our church, we will separate from them. We will cast them out from our gathering. We will have nothing to do with them. Yes, we pray for repentance and reconciliation. Yes, our hearts go out to them and their families, but we rebuke them sharply and keep them at a distance so that their error will not penetrate our body. Friends, church unity is so fragile. And it only takes one pebble to shatter a beautiful glass pane. And thus false teaching will not be tolerated in this body and you should not let it be tolerated in your personal life as well. Don't buy their books. Don't listen to their TV shows. If you see them at Goodwill for a dollar, buy them and burn them so nobody else will read them. You know, do whatever it takes. Ben has a stamp in his office that uh, every one of us should have. And it's a stamp that you can put in the front of the book. And it says, heretical nonsense <laughs> for research purposes only. And one of, our, one of his favorite things to do is to find a book and we gather around and we stamp it. Right? <laughs> False teaching. Stay far away from these men and women who are seeking to manipulate you and to use you to promote their own spiritual gain. How do I spot false teaching and false teachers? Most importantly, number one, be in Scripture consistently so that you know what authentic doctrine looks like. If you hike on the Appalachian Trail long enough, you're going to know what that mark looks like. You know what happened to us in Virginia? It was our first time on the Appalachian Trail. We got dropped off, and there were two trails, and there were some hikers down there, and someone else had told us that this was the Appalachian Trail. And the hikers down there were looking at us with their backpacks and going like this, and we were just waving at them. Hey, we have backpacks too, you know. And we started off on the wrong trail. We hiked for two miles. And we're hiking, and our hike leader's going, there's supposed to be a mark here, but there's not. There's supposed, to be, there's supposed to be something on this tree, but I don't see it. We hiked and we hiked, and then a car comes driving up this trail. It's a wide trail. And the guy stopped the road. I was wondering, I said, what in the world are you guys doing? He said, we're hiking the Appalachian Trail. He said, no, you're not. And we had to turn around and walk the two miles back to even start. And for some of you, that may need to be what happens. Because you've gotten deep into a book and we say, friend, that is not, that's not scripture. It's not right. You have to humble yourself to put it away and come back to scripture and to say, Lord, I need those guideposts. I need to, I need to know the truth. I need to be reading the Bible, but not just reading the Bible, understanding the Bible, not just understanding the Bible, applying it to my life. I need to know the scripture so that I'll go two steps and I'm looking and there's not a sign or there's a wrong sign. I say, no, no, I've been down this road before. I'm not going down there again. You know, the word theologian, as Becky says often, is not just a term for pastors. It's not just a term for men. It's a term for the Christian. 
Get deep into your scriptures. Understand what the Bible says. Get to know God and spot false doctrine. Secondly, recognize that popularity, sincerity, and sounding good does not authenticate that it's actually truth. And I'm going to use an illustration in here, and I hesitated whether or not I should use it, but, but I want to give you an example of this, a recent example. There was this thing going around Facebook, and I only know that because somebody told me about it, because I'm not on social media, because I got so angry. And it was this thing going around that said, did you know that God's name in Hebrew doesn't have any vowels? Did you know that it's without, if you just want to say it the way the Bible says it, it's Yahweh. But if you take the vowels out, it's kind of weird. It's Yahweh, you know? And that's like breathing. So every time you breathe, you say God's name. From the first breath of a child, when they breathe in and breathe out, to the last breath, you're saying God's name. Friends, that is not true. It's not true. Some of you may have read that and thought, oh, that's so nice. I love to think that when my teenager is yelling at me, he's actually saying God's name. (laughs) But friends, it's just simply not true. And in fact, it's not even new. You know, in the 1700s, that same thing was very prominent. And Jonathan Wesley came out against it. Here's what he wrote. This event, this teaching, this man who was teaching this, was, as might easily have been foreseen, he had utterly confounded their intellects. He filled them so full of sublime speculations that they had left scripture and common sense far behind. You know what would have answered that for you is if you simply would have said, I wonder if the Bible ever says that. I wonder if the Bible ever mentions this. I wonder if there's anything in Scripture that would actually support this weird thing that I just read that has been liked tens of thousands of times and that Christians have shared. But I need to remember that just because something is popular just because someone is sincere or just because it sounds good does not make it true. Amen. Thank you. More of us need to be like that. Amen. You don't need to be afraid to say amen, by the way. Number three, don't be insubordinate. How do I spot false teaching in teachers? Place yourself under the leadership and spiritual authority of the pastors in your local church to teach you the truth. Find a church that teaches the truth and align yourself with that church. The church has been set up as your primary source of teaching. I'm not telling you not to bring other good teaching into your life. But that needs to be in addition to what you are receiving from your local congregation. That the teaching from this pulpit, as it reflects sound doctrine, needs to be the primary teaching in your life. You say, whoa, that sounds pretty serious. Yeah, I'm very protective of that. Because as pastors, we have to give an account before God for what's taught. Fourthly, be discerning into who you listen to and who you believe. 
Just because someone is on TV and has a massive following does not mean they're speaking the truth. Now, there are some very godly men. I don't want you to, I don't want to scare you from like the men who are actually um, speaking and preaching the truth. Dr. John MacArthur during, uh, during COVID had over 100,000 people live streaming his services. Does that mean that he's a false teacher? Absolutely not. He's a godly man who's been preaching and teaching the truth for 50 years. And if you listen to his preaching, you'll be encouraged and you will grow in a wonderful way. And there are many godly men and women who are teaching who have large followings who are teaching the truth, but just because they have a large following, just because they're on TV, just because it's somebody who's been teaching for a long time does not mean that they are speaking the truth. So be careful. Prove with Scripture. Listen to the truth. Ask good questions and answer them with the Bible. If you have questions. I, I, I love to have conversations with people like this. Hey, I'm reading this book. What do you think about this author? Hey, I'm reading this book and I had this thing I wasn't sure, really sure about. What do you think? Or I was listening to this person. Have you ever heard of so-and-so? I stumbled across them. I had somebody say, have you ever heard of this guy named R.C. Sproul? Yeah, his name's R.C. Sproul. He's amazing. He's in heaven now. He's even more amazing than he's ever been now, right? Incredible teacher of the word. Listen with discernment. Listen with the word. We are going to be taking steps to help you with this. Some of you have seen the beautiful cabinet that is in the lobby. That's going to be our new resource center. And we're going to be curating books and resources for you that will be helpful to you. And and Ben has been working on this project. We've been working together. Ben's taking the reins, working on it for about a year. And uh, and we'll have the resource center up and running for you that will help you familiarize yourself with sound doctrine, truth, scripture. And so that we can be sound in the faith. Silencing false teaching, rebuking false teachers. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love for us. May our lives and our confession reflect the truth. May we be passionate about serving you and loving you. May the truth reign supreme, knowing that truth will win. And at the end of the age, Father, may we be found on the side of righteousness. May we be found with your people, confirmed in our beliefs of Scripture. May we hold Scripture high. May we live by it, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me, God. May this be a church that is not afraid to stand for the truth with confidence, thus silencing false teaching and rebuking false teachers. May we be confident in living in a way that reflects you. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I would ask you to do business with God and however God has laid on your heart the, the, the truth that God has pressed into your heart, would you reflect that in this time of response? and reflection this morning.